You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Right, good. John 6 is where we're going to be this morning. Let me introduce myself real quick. My name is Greg Gibson. I'm the family ministries pastor here at Foothills Church. And um, basically what that means, I oversee Crypto College and all of our life stage teams um, here and, uh, and so I got a lovely wife named Grace. Together we created two kids, Cora and Ivor. Cora's three, Ivor's one. You've probably seen them using the guest service circle desk as the Indianapolis 500 between services, maybe after the third service. Um, Cora riv- rivals me in energy, even as a three-year-old. I'm not going to let her take the cake on that one. But speaking of kids, kids are in the room today, no Kid Street. So um, feel free to get up, take your kids out, go to the bathroom. You're not going to distract me. I preach to teenagers, and so it'll be totally fine. Um, this week is five years for Grace and I at Foothills Church, which is pretty incredible. Yep, and so thank you for that golf clap. And so we, um, we have just really enjoyed our time in the last five years seeing God's grace and favor just through our efforts, um, being able to see, you know, like when we were at Maryville Christian School, like we were setting up, tearing down, remember the first time we we broke 100 people, Trent and I were chest bumping in the back parking lot, and I mean, we started with eight kids, you know, in in a basement of a church member's house. We have over 300. I have more people on our family ministry team now than we did as kids when we started the teenagers, when we started the church, and so it's been incredible to be a part of this story with you. And to, to be able to get to know so many of you and to, to be a part of your life as well. And uh, again, just a blessing to be a part of, in a small way, really what God is doing here. And so one quick announcement before we get into where we're going, John 6. Um, the last couple weeks, we talked a little bit about the, the family ministry calendar. Uh, the next one coming up is June 5th, the next event. And that's Springbrook Pool Night. So June 5th, Springbrook Pool Night at 6 p.m. Great event to bring neighbors, bring family, bring friends. We're just going to hang out, be relational, enjoy the weather, hopefully. Enjoy the pool together. Um, So it'll be a a fun relational night for us. All right, let's pray. We'll get right into it. Father, we pause before you this morning, and we are grateful for this place. We're grateful for this church, and we're thankful for the fact that... um, you are doing incredible things here and, and through us and in us. And God, this morning that as even I celebrate this week, five years, God, I pray that um, we would remember even as we leave this morning the wellspring of your favor, where that comes from, the wellspring of your grace, and that we would feast on that as we leave. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's get right to it this morning. My goal with this message and this sermon is to challenge you, to challenge your way of thinking, to encourage you, to equip you, potentially in a loving way, step on a little bit of toes. Um, But let me paint the picture of where this passage, John 6, is, is going this morning. There is this common view within Christianity that teaches that following Jesus gets you stuff. And so it's this, this prosperity driven Christianity. That following Jesus, like, gets you things. Come to church, get stuff. Follow Jesus, get stuff. Follow Jesus, get someone. Feel a certain way, right? Prosperity Christianity. This movement is called the Prosperity Gospels. Maybe you've heard of, of pastors like who are in this movement, Joel Osteen, T.D. Jakes, 
a guy named Creflo Dollar. Um, incredible name. I don't know if I could even ever trust a dude with that name. It's like a blessing and a curse all in itself. Creflo Dollar. But they, these guys teach that following Jesus leads you to prosperity. Like, they teach that. Following Christ leads you to prosperity. You know, it's like, it's a sow a seed ministry. You follow Christ, you're going to gain wealth. You're going you're to become more affluent. You're going to become more prosperous. Following Christ gets you stuff. Again, sow a seed Christianity. It's like, if you give to my $160 million new private jet campaign, right, God's going to make you 6'8", and you're going to play in the NBA and make a million dollars. That's kind of crazy, but that's kind of the concept, all in a nutshell, right? It's this view of God saying, if you do this, God will do this. If you do A, then God will do B. And this is a common view of Christianity in the Bible Belt, too, but it's a little bit more subtle than we think. And we, again, like if I surveyed every single person in this room, um, nobody would like raise their hand and be like, yeah, I'm a prosperity gospel driven Christian, you know? But here's the subtlety of this, is that we wouldn't say we are prosperity driven Christians, but we often live our lives that way. Here's, here's what I mean. We often live as functional prosperity Christians, We're not gonna confess those things, but we might live that way. Our bank accounts might lead to that or how we live or make decisions or even how we parent, right? Like this this pursuit of the American dream of bigger, bigger, better, you know? More everything. We might give only a, a tiny fraction of our income to the kingdom. You might think life is good when your incomes are good, your bellies are full, the cars you drive are the newest, the nicest, The clothes on your backs are the latest and greatest and your kids have the latest and greatest everything. And speaking of of kids, you might think, and you wouldn't believe how many parents I actually talk to who who say this, you might think the goal of parenting is for your kids to be happy. And so the reality here is that Christianity sometimes becomes just an add-on to our life. It's like a It's like just another Boy Scout badge on our Boy Scout uniform right next to mountaineering and I can purify water. You know, like Christian. It's sometimes the hat we wear when we want to. And so this view of Christianity is an add-on alongside of our career, our kids, our finances, our dreams. Like we want our kids to be happy. We'll do anything for that. We'll live this way. We'll spend money this way. We'll buy these things. We might not call ourselves prosperity gospel Christians but we might be functional prosperity Christians and here's the reality of all this is man I'm just as guilty as you in being tempted to live my life this way let me let me kind of explain it this way just this week um, 100% true story Monday afternoon ish evening ish we get in our sweet awesome rad Toyota Sienna minivan and we drive to, we were gonna drive to a, a friend's house, friends from church, having a cookout on the lake. And I can't make this up. Like, I am sitting there thinking, like, as we're driving down 411, I'm sitting there thinking, man, this minivan is awesome. First of all, who thinks that, right? No one, no one says that. No one thinks that. I was thinking that. You know, and I'm looking at like, man, this minivan, we can fit our double stroller in here. There's so much room. It's paid off. We don't have a car payment. This thing is going to last forever. And I'm, I'm just kind of sitting there thinking all this stuff in my, I even say that to Grace. Like, man, this is, 
this minivan is awesome, you know? And I, I, I say those actual words, and, and I'm sitting there thinking, like, kind of awesome about myself, you know? Like, man, look what you did, look what you've paid off, look what you guys have, have worked to have and obtained together. You know, so silly, right? silly stuff, like minivan. We're driving down 321, we just passed the church, we, we're going down a hill towards Lenore City, we're in the left lane, some cop cars are driving by, getting somebody, and a car pulls out of the way of them and merges into our lane and we T-bone them, T-bone them. And so everybody's okay, we're okay. I've got this like nasty um, airbag burn. It looks like I'm growing a disease on my arm right now, but everybody is okay, she's okay. But it was like 30, 45 seconds of like World War III, you know, it was like we hit, airbags explode, smoke everywhere. Kids are crying. I'm okay. I'm checking on Grace. I'm checking on the kids. Everybody's okay. Um, I run over to the other person. She's got blood on her face. She's leaning up against the door, like saying, I can't move. You know, so it's like, oh man, it's going down right now. And so, I mean, all that to say, everybody was fine. But here I am in my heart thinking this, bam, taken away. I sit down the next day, open the Bible to prepare for this sermon. And I read John 6, 22 through 59, kind of all the way to 71. And man, I am absolutely wrecked at the state of my heart and how I have even in my own life seen the pursuit of possessions and more and this creep in to become really a, a pursuit of our family and pursuit of my life and be like, yeah, pff, minivan. Who, again, who says that? You know, I, I could drive a 2022, seven years from now minivan. It still wouldn't be awesome. But like, again, I'm thinking, all right, minivan's awesome. We got it. This is perfect for our kids. But then again, I'm giving myself the credit. And then absolutely, um, the reality in my life is that when I'm looking at this passage, I'm absolutely reminded of the point of the whole following Jesus thing, which is, the point, which is really the point of the entire sermon and passage this morning is that following Jesus is not about getting things from Jesus. It is about getting Jesus, right? Following Jesus is not about getting stuff from him. It's not about like, hey, God, if I do A, give me B. If I do this, I know you're gonna bless me. I know you're gonna make me feel this way. If I'm just, if I'm just on today, if I'm faithful, I know my, my kids are gonna have this and they're gonna feel a certain way and they're gonna succeed in this way. No, like the point of John 6 that we're gonna see, the point of the entire Christianity, hopefully that we're gonna see the tension of and feel the tension of together as a church this morning is that following Jesus is not about getting things from Jesus. It is absolutely about getting Jesus. And so let's look at this entire passage. I'm just, I'm just gonna read it, make some points. It's a lot of verses, and so we'll, we'll kind of read together. We'll make some points as we go, um, but we'll work from 22 all the way to 59. So let's begin in, in verse 22 together. Verse 22 says, on the next day, the crowd. Go ahead, if you have a pen or pencil, if you have your Bible, circle the crowd, or a device, highlight that. We'll come back to it. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. Circle his disciples or highlight it, whatever. Again, we'll come back to that and the crowd. But that his disciples had gone away alone. 
Other boats from uh, Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. This is what Pastor Brandon talked about last week, Jesus feeding the 5,000. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got in the boat, went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And I love the way Jesus answers questions throughout the Gospels. He never answers the question truthfully. It's like, hey, Jesus, when did you come here? Hey, did you watch the NBA Finals last night? You know, it's like not even close. But he basically puts them in their place, even right here and there. And he says in verse 26, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So Jesus immediately lays down the gauntlet here, right? Like no, no, like no hello, no how did you sleep last night? No, like any funny dreams you wanna tell me about? It's just, just gauntlet, that's all, right? He says, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the low. Like you ate bread and now you want more. So like you saw me do stuff, now you want me to do more stuff so that you can have more stuff. And in their case, they want more bread. They want more food. And Jesus is teaching the crowds already that we're gonna see that following Jesus is not about getting stuff from him, but about getting him. And he says in verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal And then they, the crowds, said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And then Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that what? You believe in him whom he has sent. So he's teaching them already from the beginning. It's not about getting stuff from me, man. It's not about doing A and I'm gonna do B for you. Like here's why you're here. You're following me because you want more stuff from me. You want more possessions from me. You want your bellies full again. That's pretty much what he's saying. He's teaching the crowds that following him is not about getting stuff from him. It is about getting Jesus alone. Verse 30, let's let's continue. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And we'll come back and explain this in just a second. And then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then the crowd says to him, sir, give us this bread always. And so here's, here's kind of what's happening here. I wanna kind of have a three to five minute teaching point. Um, with you on what kind of the whole story of bread throughout scripture from Genesis to Revelation. God uses bread to kind of signify certain things and point to certain things and in a pre-fall world in Genesis 1 and 2 before sin had even came into the world, Adam and Eve had direct communication and provision from God. It's like everything about their relationship with God was absolutely pure without sin, no barrier. They walked with God in the garden. They ate of the land. They were, you know, they had no hardship because their obedience was to who God was and what he wanted them to do in the garden. Post-sin, 
Genesis 3, we see that man works through the thorns and thistles, you know, and the sweat of his brow to eat. And so we see kind of this concept of where God is providing to Israel through bread, which is going to point to something greater, but we're going to get there in just a second. And so basically, kind of here's what's happening. The crowd gets a little bit more bold. They ask Jesus to prove. They already saw this miracle, right? And all the way kind of in, in chapter six, the, the first passage of feeding the 5,000, they want him to prove again. He's the son of man sent from the father by doing more signs, doing more miracles, giving them more stuff. Here, here's, here's kind of the point of bread. Bread plays an integral part through the entire canon, entire story, the overarching, really the meta-narrative of scripture. We see it in the Jewish Passover meal in the Old Testament. The Jews were to eat unleavened bread during the Passover feast and then for seven days following as a celebration of the exodus from Egypt. The Jews were to eat um, also, or excuse me, when, when the Jews were wandering in the desert for 40 days, um, you guys remember the story, God rained down bread, right? To sustain them, to provide for them. So bread is kind of the, the sanctuary, the savior of, of how God is providing for his people and keeping them alive during this time. Like pointing to something greater. God rained down bread from heaven to stain the nation of Israel in Exodus 16. And these are the events that the crowds are talking about in verses 30 and 31. Like you provided to our fathers and, our, and the prophets and those who have come before us. Now give us more bread. Give us more manna is what they're saying. You just did it a, a minute ago. Give us more. And then just a couple of verses again before this. Um, we see this happening in Jesus setting the stage really for his big announcement. And in verse 35, we'll, we'll read together. Jesus tells the crowd one of the most life-changing, life-giving, truth-filled statements, sentences in all of history. And he says this, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. See, do you see Jesus with this I am statement completely turning history again on its head? Like God providing through bread, God saying, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna provide and keep my people alive. But it's pointing to something greater. And these crowds are like, give us more bread. Fill us with more stuff. Give us more possessions. Like keep our bellies full. And Jesus comes on the scene again, setting this entire stage up with one of the most life-changing, life-giving, truth-filled, redemptive framework sentences ever. He says, I am that bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Notice he doesn't say, like whoever believes in me shall never thirst and have all this stuff and always, you know, be happy and always have this and gain more possessions. He says, no, I am the bread of life, right? I am the bread of life. This is a, one of the I am statements we see throughout John and everything in the Old Testament, Jesus is, is reaffirming again, pointing back to Jesus, pointing back to who he is. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And so let's keep going in verses 
36 and, and following. And um, I'm just going to kind of read these next passages quickly. So stay with me as we read, and uh, we'll make some observations as we go. So Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you still do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. There's a lot there. We'll come back to it in a second. Verse 41, so the Jews, circle the Jews, we'll come back to it, with the crowd, with the disciples. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? So it's like, I mean, we've seen him grow up. We saw him come from, from Joseph and, uh, and, and Mary, and we know his father and mother. How is, why in the world? What, what's going on? How is he saying this stuff? Jesus answered him, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Then he says it again. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am, a, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And so already we're seeing, you know, this, this concept of following Jesus is not about, again, getting stuff or getting things from Jesus. It is about getting Jesus. And so as I, as I read the rest of this, I want to go ahead and pose this question for you to think through. We'll finish reading but with whom are you identifying with in this passage? With whom are you identifying with in this passage? The Jews, the crowd, maybe we'll, we'll talk about the disciples here in just a second as well. Verse 52, then the Jews disputed amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Such a stupid question. So Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh, here's Jesus again kind of doing his, his thing that he does where he doesn't really answer questions. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, my body is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, ab abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So let me ask you again, with whom do you identify in this passage? With whom do you identify? Do you identify with the Jews? Potentially, do you identify with the crowd? We're gonna talk through all these or do you identify with the disciples? Maybe the Jews. Through this passage, we see the Jews were unbelievers. 
So you might be sitting there like thinking, oh man, this Christianity, I'm trying to figure all this out. I don't believe it. it's kind of fairy tale stuff. It kind of sounds like God's a, you know, the, the genie in a bottle from Aladdin just sitting there blessing us type stuff. Like, no, like, you know, the Jews were the unbelievers. Maybe that's you. Jews were also grumblers and complainers, always negative. Maybe, maybe that's some of your postures and attitudes. Uh, if you find yourself more prone to, to negativity, pessimism, grumbling, complaining, gossip, those types of things, we don't just chalk them up to personality issues. We chalk it up to sin. Like that's sin. We let the gospel affect our personality, come and redeem who we are, redeem our personalities. They're grumblers. They're complainers. They're always negative. They're question askers. You know, like, I mean, they try to prove that Jesus wasn't who he, who he says he was. Verse 52, again, re- simply ridiculous question. Like, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? You know? And so here's the point. And again, Jesus answers them. and We'll, we'll get there. Here's, here's the point and the application for this type of person this morning. First of all, you need to believe in Jesus and believe in who God said he was. And here's how this works. You can look at verse 44 with me again. Um, kind of Jesus says it this way. No one can come to, to me unless the Father draws him. And so if you're, if you're sitting there and you're like, man, I wonder if I'm saved. You're probably saved. Like non-believers don't ask that question. Like, you know, like we do. You know, like my life doesn't really reflect the fruit of the Spirit right now. My life, you know, is, I struggle with this, I struggle with that, I'm I wonder if I'm saved. You're probably saved, just struggling with sin, you know? And like our purpose is to to identify that, repent of that, let Jesus come into our life, like equip us, encourage us to become more like him. That's the purpose. And and kind of the the tension of this is is here's what this means. Here's kind of the the whole point of what Jesus is saying. We don't have time this morning to, to dissect the entire really sermon that he's giving, but here's what he's saying. And here's what this means, and it should be on the screen. Hear the gospel, be drawn by the Father, and believe the gospel. Hear the gospel, be drawn by the Father, believe the gospel. Like if you're not a believer, and this is kind of the first group that Jesus is talking to here. Like believe the gospel. The gospel is that God created the world for a purpose, and he created people as his most prized possession in their image, in, in his image, and after his likeness. Man fell into sin, Genesis 3. The rest of the Old Testament points to our need for a savior. And that's what Jesus is. He comes on the scene, he lives the life we couldn't live, dies the death that we should have died, rose from the dead, defeated death. The Bible says he sits at the right hand of the Father, alive today, even now. He sent his spirit for us, drawing us to salvation. Hear the gospel, be drawn by the Father, and then believe it. The tension for me is that when I'm talking to a room full of um, kind of pros- functional prosperity Christians. I'm just gonna go ahead and, and say what we are in a lot of ways. Um, the tension is to go back to the beginning and the foundation and believe that, right? Believe in him, believe in Jesus. Go back to the wellspring of what it is. And then live our life out of that. Like live our life out of that. And so maybe you identify with the Jews, unbelievers, complainers, negative, grumblers, gossipers, trying to disprove everything. 
Maybe identify with the crowd this morning. And this is where many of us land. Functional prosperity Christians only wanting stuff from Jesus. Am I, here's the point, like, am I saying that having stuff and going places and doing things is bad? No. But how we use the stuff to make more disciples, not gain more stuff. Like that's, that's the pendulum swing of following Jesus. Like we don't wear the badge as one badge. The, the uniform is what we wear. The uniform is following Jesus, following Christ, using everything that we have, making the decisions that we make, the, the trails that our bank account goes to. Everything that we do through the lens of the bread of life. Functional prosperity Christians wanting stuff from Jesus. Maybe your faith is only a private faith. This is the crowd. It's not the lens through which we view the world of our life or make decisions. You go to Jesus to get stuff from Jesus. You might think following Jesus potentially just might mean being a good person. Whenever things are are going poorly in your life, you run back to church, run back to Jesus, thinking you're going to be fixed. Remember, following Jesus is not about getting things from Jesus, it is about getting the king. It is about getting Jesus. Maybe identify with the disciples this morning. If we were to continue to read in verse 60 through 71, which we're not going to, but kind of read that on your own, we see that being a disciple of Jesus is not without difficulty. They still questioned, they struggled with doubt, they struggled with sin, they struggled with fighting and quarreling and gossiping with one another. But they, they strive the best they can to follow him. Some actually left, if you read this, pat, this next couple verses, he's not, um, John here is not talking about the, the 12, but he's saying some disciples leave Jesus and go back home. Like they go back home, they they leave when Jesus doesn't give them more stuff. Does that make sense? Like they, they leave and, and go back home. We see this in verse 66. The 12 remained, one still betrayed him. If you keep reading the New Testament through the Gospels, then you learn that the disciples also learned that it is not about getting things from Jesus. It's about getting Jesus. The true disciples still followed him. Get this, even unto death, Right? Like if, then they still struggled. Like if you're like, man, how did the disciples die? Go home and Google it. And it's like, man, here's the tension that I I face as a young pastor, just kind of when I'm awake at night and pacing in my front yard, my neighbors think I'm crazy, is that I, I, I look at the church in America and then I read the Bible and I look at, you know, the church and the world in Africa and the DR that Brant talked about a minute ago in Haiti. And then I, I, I read the teachings of Jesus and how the, 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 what the Bible teaches in the book of Acts of how the church looked like. And I struggle with the tension of like, man, does our version of Christianity look like this? And I think often we can't answer that with a, with the resounding yes. You know, like fish shaking in the air, standing from a mountaintop, shouting with as much confidence that we can possibly muster in ourselves a yes. No, right? Peter denied him. They sat around for a while sad after Jesus died. And then what happened? Jesus raised from the dead and everything changed. 
Everything changed. The disciples then went and made more disciples. They planted more churches. They performed their own miracles. They gave their lives so that other people might know him. This is the opposite of the American dream. This is the opposite of like functional prosperity Christianity. Again, stuff isn't bad. Possessions isn't bad. I think it's great. It's all in our perspective and posture and how we use them. Do we use it to make more disciples, to build the kingdom, to serve others? Or do we use it to gain more stuff? And do we go to Jesus to gain more stuff? That's the tension I want us to wrestle and struggle with this morning and think through. The disciples feasted on the bread of life alone. They gave their life to following Jesus even unto death. They understood that following Jesus is not about getting things from Jesus, it is about getting Jesus. So here's some application for all of us this morning. No matter with whom we identify, fill yourself with Jesus constantly. He is the bread of life. Go back to this. Maybe you've been a believer for three months or you've been a Christian for 33 years. Awesome, go back to this daily, weekly. Remind yourself of the, the foundation of your salvation, of what Jesus did for you, go back to that and then get excited about going and living for him, right? Like, it's not the, the badge we wear, it's the entire uniform. Fill yourself with Christ constantly. The, the real question is, with what do we fill ourselves? Not with whom do we identify, with what do we fill ourselves? Are we like the Jews and fill ourselves with knowledge, wisdom of the world, self-help garbage, chat room debates, com complain, doubt? Do we question constantly? Are we like the crowd, fill ourselves with prosperity, possessions, more and more things? Are we functional prosperity Christians chasing after the American dream? Or are we like the true disciples, not like the disciples who left when Jesus didn't give them stuff, but are we like the the true disciples, and fill ourselves with Jesus and fight as hard as we can every day. Even when we go through valleys, when we're not like living on the mountaintop and, you know, all we're doing is eating filet mignons every night. I mean, it's like when we go through it, do we still feast on Jesus? When we go through the trials and hardships and circumstances of life that life brings, that our marriages bring, that our parenting brings, that our jobs bring, that the, the tension of success and using our success for the kingdom brings, are we still feasting on Christ alone? Are you happy with your job and think changing your job might make you happier? Are you unhappy in your marriage and think divorce potentially might be the answer? Are you obsessive with your children's happiness and think your entire world revolves around them? Are you struggling with depression, anxiety, worry, the thought of What's next in your life? Loneliness, self-image issues, lust, anger, whole host of other things as humans. I mean, we struggle with every day. Here's my encouragement. Come to Jesus, eat of Jesus. Feast on the foundation of your faith. He is the bread of life. Following Jesus is not about getting things from Jesus, it is about getting Jesus. Go back to the statement of what Jesus said. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, 
whoever believes in me shall never thirst. No add-on. That's all that we get. Come to me, right? Come to me. Christians in the room, if you're a Christian, believe in that truth, trust in that promise, get excited about that again. Re-energize your faith. Man, following Jesus is exciting. It is courageous. It's not a, a badge. It's the entire uniform. It's the entire posture and lens through which we view the world. Repent of sin where our lack of faith leads us to sin and doubt. If you aren't a Christian in the room, again, I would encourage you to repent of sin and taste of the bread of life. Taste of this bread. Jesus says, all who are burdened and weary come to me. I shall give you rest. The question is, do you need that rest today? If so, what we do here at Foothills is when we dismiss from this, there's a room called the Care and Prayer Room. We have counselors you can just go talk to and say, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm dealing with. Maybe here's what's going on in my life that's exciting and awesome. Hopefully, maybe some of you, here's why I'm here. I want to receive Christ and trust in Christ today and they will talk to you about that this morning and so to close today as a church we're going to take communion together um, on the night before Jesus was betrayed he took a bread piece of bread and he broke it and he said to his disciples the ones that stayed he said this is my body broken for you Eat this bread and do it in remembrance of me. And he also took a cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This is how God provides for you now. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so as we close today by taking the Lord's Supper, if you are a believer in the room, we invite you to join us this morning to feast in this. If you're not a believer, your child who's in the room with us is not a believer yet, we ask that you not partake of, of this with us at this time. As we see through scripture, God used bread to provide and sustain his people. Genesis 1, we had God. Genesis 2, we had God providing. Post Genesis 3, God used bread, pointing to the true bread, pointing to the true bread. And so as you take this little piece of cracker and the small swig of, of juice, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the whole story of what you're partaking in and what you're a part of this morning, is that it doesn't just end when Jesus raises from the dead and then we, we say, yeah, I'm eating and feasting of the true bread alone. Revelation 19 points to an entire warrior feast where believers from past, present, and future will all gather around the throne when Jesus comes again in what's called the final marriage supper of the Lamb. And so we see this whole story take place of how God provides for his people through the Old Testament and Jesus and the ultimate pinnacle of what our faith points to. And so... What I hope you see is that this small piece of bread and this cup is, is, is just a foreshadow 
of the greatest warrior feast you will ever be a part of, that history will ever see. Because Jesus will come, and I say warrior feast because he's a warrior king. He will completely defeat sin. He will completely defeat death. He will completely defeat the things that we struggle with, the things that our kids struggle with, things that our marriages are dealing with. Our faith will be complete because we will see him. Faith is in what we don't see right now, Hebrews 11, but our faith will be complete because Jesus will be there. We will feast together with every believer in the history of the world because we have Jesus. And so church this morning, that piece of cracker in that cup of juice is the greatest foreshadow to the greatest feast you will ever be a part of one day. That is our hope. That's what we're going to go back to. That's what we remember. And that's what we celebrate now. Let's pray together to that end. Father, we pause before you and we are thankful for the bread of life this morning. We are thankful for the truth that you provided for your people. And we read that in your incredible word. All through the Old Testament, we're thankful for the fact that Jesus is that bread. He's the fulfillment of that. And we're thankful for the fact that now we're partaking just as the disciples did, but to remember what's ahead. And we take this now as a church boldly and courageously because our faith is in your good and perfect promises to us. And we sing about it. We read about it. We teach about it. And we feast of it let our church feast of your promises this morning. We pray all this in your incredible son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.